This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr dot org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson, and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson, and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 784 for release on Sunday, March 3rd, 2024. In WaveScan today. The history of radio in Gibraltar, how shortwave stations coordinate their use of the frequency spectrum, and our Japan DX report. Today, Ray Robinson tackles a topic we've never covered before here in WaveScan: the history of radio broadcasting in the tiny British overseas territory of Gibraltar. So, in Los Angeles. Here's Ray. Thanks, Jeff. Gibraltar is a small peninsula attached to the south coast of Spain, which juts out into the Mediterranean. It's just one and a half miles long, north to south, and three quarters of a mile wide, much of which is occupied by the famous rock itself. With its commanding position overlooking the strait between Spain and Morocco, through which all shipping between the Mediterranean and the Atlantic must pass, Gibraltar is of great strategic importance, and its sovereignty has been contested by the Spanish for centuries. Gibraltar was first permanently settled by the Moors in the sixth century and was renamed Jebel Tarek, meaning Mount of Tarek, which was later corrupted into the name Gibraltar. Gibraltar was besieged and conquered by Spain in 1462, and it remained part of the unified Kingdom of Spain for 242 years, from 1462 until 1704. It was then captured by the Anglo-Dutch navy during the War of the Spanish Succession. And was formally ceded to Great Britain in the Treaty of Utrecht in 1713 in exchange for territorial concessions in North America, and for the last 320 years it has remained under British control. At the foot of the rock on the western side, there's a densely populated town area with narrow streets, which these days is home to a permanent resident population of about 32,000 people. Gibraltar was formally recognised as a city by Queen Victoria in 1842. Historically, much of the local economy was dependent on the naval port, but these days most of their income is derived from tourism, aided by a new cruise ship terminal, online gambling, and offshore financial services. Before the Second World War, a local private company had set up radio distribution, which relayed the BBC overseas service via cable from 301 Main Street. But as the clouds of war approached, radio distribution came under the control of the British Ministry of Information and was run by the Royal Corps of Signals. As from 1941, radio distribution was based at Wellington Front, an area that was to become the home for broadcasting on the Rock for three decades. A new Radio Gibraltar was also set up by the Ministry of Information for the civilian population. 
Initially, its local content was minimal, but it did include announcement of the Gibraltar lottery results. <laughs> During the war, the transmitter was moved to Morocco to play its part in Operation Torch, the Allied invasion of North Africa. Gibraltar was then served by a smaller 250-watt transmitter based at Wellington Front. When the war ended, the need for information on the rock was deemed less important by the Ministry, and by August 1945, the early version of Radio Gibraltar was phased out. In the aftermath of the Second World War, Gibraltar was essentially a garrison town, its society finding its way after the evacuation and return of its civilian community to the rock. The Spanish language predominated and local culture strove to make sense of its own identity. Initially, a one-hour daily programme was recorded in Gibraltar for the local residents, and this was broadcast by Pan American Radio from 5 to 6pm through the medium-wave transmitter of Radio Tangier in Morocco, just across the strait. It wasn't until 1957 that the local government in Gibraltar once again felt the need for a full-blown local information and entertainment service of their own. Known once again as Radio Gibraltar, it was the brainchild of Sir Howard Davis and was managed and operated by British civil servants with technical help from the Royal Corps of Signals. The station launched at 11.50am on Sunday the 16th of February 1958 with 1 kilowatt on 1484 kHz, 202 metres. Daily programmes were in English from 8am to 3pm and 6pm to 11pm and was partially funded by commercials. Top of the hour newscasts were again relayed from the BBC Overseas Service and other BBC programming was carried also. Afternoon programming in Spanish was added later. Using some very basic equipment, black and white television transmissions began from Signal Hill at the southern end of the rock on VHF Channel 12 in October 1962. A locally controlled broadcasting service became increasingly important, so in December 1963, the Gibraltar Broadcasting Corporation was established to take over the operation of both the radio and TV services on behalf of the Gibraltar government. In June 1969, General Franco of Spain ordered the frontier with Gibraltar to be closed, and it remained closed for 13 years. My family and I were fortunate to be able to live and work in Gibraltar for five months in 1980 and 1981, and it was sad to see the guards on the Gibraltar side of the border ceremoniously opening the gates every morning and then closing them again every evening, while the gates on the Spanish side remained resolutely closed. After we left, the border was partially reopened to pedestrians only in December 1982, and then finally fully reopened to vehicular traffic as well in February 1985. Throughout the 70s, during the period of the border closure, Radio Gibraltar relayed BBC programming from London in Spanish, and this was much appreciated during the Franco years by the residents of La Línea, San Roque, Algeciras, along the Costa del Sol and in other towns in the hinterland close to Gibraltar, an area known as the Campo. It's said that walking through those towns in the afternoons, one could often hear, this is the BBC from London broadcasting to Spain on shortwave, coming from radios tuned to Radio Gibraltar on 202 metres. In Spain at the time, it was actually forbidden to listen to the BBC from London. The programmes of record requests and dedications then also became an important means of maintaining contact for people with family members on both sides of the border. In November 1978, Radio Gibraltar's transmitter was given a power increase to 2 kilowatts and moved from 1484 to 1458 kilohertz, 206 metres, the medium wave frequency it still uses to this day. 
In 2014, it was given another power boost, this time to 4 kilowatts. Due to reception challenges close in around the rock, however, two stereo FM frequencies were added in the 1980s, on 100.5 MHz with 1 kilowatt, and on 91.3 MHz with 250 watts. Some years later, a third FM transmitter was added on 92.6 MHz, also with 1 kilowatt. The 1980s also saw both the GBC radio and television operations move from the rather dilapidated building at Wellington Front to new studios called Broadcasting House on South Barrack Road at the southern end of the rock. Until the early 80s, programming was typically in short blocks of 15 or 30 minutes covering many different musical genres, including classical and opera, as well as contemporary pop. However, a restructuring then took place and the more familiar two- or three-hour shows with contemporary music similar to many local independent stations in the UK was adopted. Peter Canessa was the presenter of a lunchtime show called A Bit of All Right and here he is at 1pm on Tuesday the 8th of June 1982. Fading into the distance, that's Donna Summer and the bad girls and the dedication that went with that was to Nick, cos you're 20, from all of us. From me, for the moment, it's goodbye till ten past one, because next it's the news from the BBC. On 206 metres medium wave, 91.3 and 100.5 megahertz VHF. But before the news, stand by for a time check. It's one o'clock and we join the BBC World Service. BBC World Service. The news read by Ashley Hodgson. Israeli forces continuing their advance into Lebanon now appear to be in control of most of the Lebanese coastal area south of Beirut. I recorded that myself while on vacation on the Costa del Sol. Three days later, I also recorded David Hoare with the station sign-on at 6.45am on Friday the 11th of June 1982. <laughs> This is the Gibraltar Broadcasting Corporation. This is Radio Gibraltar. GBC on 206 meters medium wave, 91.3 and 100.5 VHF. Good morning. This is Radio Gibraltar. David Hoare welcoming you to programmes on your local GBC for today, Friday, legs 11, June 1982. And we begin by taking a look at the weather forecast. GBC Weather Time. There'll be sunny periods with a light to moderate west to southwest wind, giving way to a sea breeze during the afternoon. The maximum temperature expected today, 27 degrees centigrade. To serve the small military community, the British Forces Broadcasting Service, BFBS, opened a station in Gibraltar in the 1960s. This has only ever broadcast on FM, originally on 93.5 MHz with 250 watts. In the late 70s, a second frequency was added on 97.8 MHz, and both of those can still be heard today. 
Programming is a mixture of locally produced shows and network shows relayed from London. Here's the start of the 8.30am news headlines on BFBS with presenter Claire Riley later the same morning as the GBC sign-on we just heard. You're listening to the Friday Morning Breakfast Show on BFBS Gibraltar. It's 8.30. And here are this morning's news headlines followed by the sports summary. Fierce fighting is continuing between between Syrian and Israeli troops on several fronts. Since the mid-2000s, both GBC Radio Gibraltar and BFBS Gibraltar have been streaming their programming online, so if you want to catch up with them through an internet radio or a web browser, it's pretty easy. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. That was Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. During the past month or so, we've been telling you about the A24 High Frequency Coordination Conference that took place recently in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. This is where representatives of shortwave stations from around the world get together to coordinate their frequency use. Why is this done twice a year, and exactly how do they do it? Well, to find out more, we spoke with Dwayne Williams, Frequency Manager for the U.S. Agency for Global Media. Uh, USAGM operates uh, Voice of America and a whole myriad of other government-owned radio stations, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, including Radio Marti and Radio Free Europe and so on. Radio Free Asia. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you've got to do, you've got to put together frequency schedules for all of those stations, right? Yes, we do. We have the summer schedule and winter schedule. Uh, we got about 600 hours uh, a day of programming overall. Wow. So... How do you find frequencies for all of that? <laughs> well, we have about 17 stations around the world we use, and just depending on the time and uh, the target area uh, determines the frequency. And so that, you know, it's, it's pretty much in place. And then if we make changes, we we look at what what's the changes are and what would work best as far as uh, reception. Now, now, you've been doing this for a number of years, right? So, so have you seen... Um, you know, as some stations have gone off the air and stuff, have you seen uh, less congestion on the shortwave bands? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, uh, on, the, on the higher bands, uh, not, not, not as congested, but uh, still the lower bands are, are a challenge sometimes, to, you know, in, in the uh, prime time hours to find a clear frequency. Yeah, yeah. So, so you put together a schedule for each of the A and the B season every year. And in advance of these uh, high-frequency coordination conferences that take place, and then I guess um, the HFCC computer spits out a, a, a list of, of what they call collisions, right? Right. Yeah. We all the broadcasters put in their schedules, and then they, they combine them in the software, and it comes up with a computerized uh, list of collisions based on severity. We, we look at those collisions, and we we can say. Maybe somebody's new and, and they're, they're interfering with you. So, at the conference, we can discuss those uh, collisions face to face and uh, come up with a uh, an answer to maybe one of them moves or one of them changes or we swap something or that type of deal. So that's the kind of thing that happened at the conference where it's a face to face meeting with different different broadcasters and and uh, we're just trying to smooth out our schedules to avoid the interference. And the overlaps. 
So that's interesting. So how many, like, collisions do you normally have at the beginning? of These are the week-long conferences, by the way. And so when, when they begin, that's when <laughs> there are the most collisions, I guess. How many do you have to deal with? Uh, we've got quite a long list, uh, and it depends on who they're with sometimes that – as far as making changes, uh, some are more cooperative than others, and uh, so you know, we don't get them all fixed. And, and there's some that are aren't there. Uh, some of the broadcasters that aren't uh, attending, or so we we have a little challenge there with making the changes. But you know, we look at it, and we, sometimes we can make our own change just to just improve our uh, schedule. And sometimes there are what's called uh, wooden frequencies, right, where where somebody's got a frequency register but they're not really using it. Yeah, that's correct. We have a we have a monitoring system and, and a bunch of uh, monitors around the world that uh, listen to all their frequencies, and and they're a good source of finding those wooden frequencies uh, for, from some of the broadcasters that they, they keep maybe as a placeholder, you know, to use in case they get business, or they just uh, just just there. So. A lot of times we just ignore those, and we don't have to change. So it's because it's not really on, not really broadcasting. So, so um, like, how many people normally attend these conferences from USAGM? Uh, we have uh, a one or two of uh, the schedulers you normally attend, and we have a few the of the monitors that attend uh, that that uh, manage our remote monitoring system uh, around the world, uh, and, and we have. Uh, we look for people that might host a uh, monitoring system, so we can uh, in different parts of the world, so we can monitor, you know, the, the broadcasts. Yeah, I, I've seen how that works, and and you can actually um, uh, they, they'll put in a, a frequency that they're interested in monitoring in a certain time period, and then this thing records little what twenty second segments or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they record the sections, and then also you can do band scans and that type of thing for certain locations to see what's available or what's being used. I suppose you've been to uh, uh, many parts of the world for these meetings, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been uh, it, that's one of the nice parts of the job, getting mm. to travel and meeting different people in different parts of the country, and mm-hmm. you get get to meet face to face with people, I've develop a uh, you know relationship, and makes it for the better coordination. Uh, yeah, it's what works well, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you're not um, uh, at these conferences, you've, you're doing this, uh, this is primarily your your job, frequency schedule coordination, right? Yeah, I do the scheduling. I do uh, the regulatory stuff as far as uh, authorizations for the U.S. stuff, uh, like licenses, and then I, I also do the contract management. We have a bunch of different broadcast leases around the world uh, and manage those. Mm-hmm. And we have some other 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 contracts with support contracts, so mm-hmm. we manage that too. So now, has, has USAGM um, diminished <laughs> its usage of shortwave in in recent years? Uh, it's come down. I mean, the amount of hours have have cut back over the years. Not not recently, but uh, somewhat. And but it really hasn't changed much recently, though. It's kind of stayed steady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still still quite a bit for Africa and the Middle East. And uh, Asia, how, how many how many sites uh, transmitter sites do you have? Uh, we use about we use total about seventeen I think around the world, but not all our sites. Some are contracted mm-hmm. leased sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and you've got uh, what uh, two in the U.S. Right, uh, one shortwave, one medium wave. Yeah, we have Gr- uh, Greenville in North Carolina, and then uh, Marathon medium wave. Yeah, in Florida. 
Uh-huh. And, and before, uh, uh, well, it wasn't USAGM, but IVB or whatever it was back then, uh, had sites in places like Ohio and California. Like Delano, sites. yeah, uh-huh. California. Yeah, 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 quite a few. Uh-huh. And Greece and, <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. more other ones in Germany and yeah. uh, Morocco. And, yeah. Huh. Sri, Sri Lanka, a lot of, quite a few closed down. Yeah. Yeah. But you still got 17. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, anyway, I guess the good thing about it is that uh, shortwave is not really dying, is it? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't see it ha- going away that anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the good news. Yeah. Dwayne, thanks a lot for uh, talking with us uh, today on Wastecan. Oh, great. Thanks. That was Dwayne Williams of the U.S. Agency for Global Media talking to us about the International Shortwave Frequency Coordination Process. Let's go now to Tokyo. Here's Yukiko Tsuji. Welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshio Take, and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. Vatican Radio via Tinan, Philippines, was heard on 7485 kHz on February 3rd from 1300 to the sign-off at the 1345 UTC in Chinese. SIO rating was a 353. Mass in Chinese was on there. This program is aired on Saturdays only. Radio New Zealand Pacific was heard on 17675 kHz on January 28th from 0545 to the sign-off at 0559 UTC in English. SIO rating was 554. Talk program and music were broadcast. ID was given at 0558. This frequency was changed to 13755 kHz at 0559. Radio Thailand was received on 17640 kHz on February 3rd from 0504 to the sign-off at 0530 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353, then down to 252. Talk program and news were aired. BBC World Service via Oman was heard on 12030 kHz on February 3rd, from the sign-on at 1200 to 1300 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. The programs received were World News, followed by World Book Club at 12.06, News at 12.30, and World Book Club again at 12.32. Voice of Martyrs Korea via Tashkent, Uzbekistan, was heard on 9930 kHz on February 10th from 13.40 to the sign-off at the 13.59 UTC in Korean. SIO rating was 554. Talk program and hymn were broadcast. Voice of Turkey was received on 9625 kHz on February 3rd from 2045 to the sign-off at 2123 UTC in French. SIO rating was 353. Turkish pop music and political talk program were aired. ID was given at 21.22. Radio Exterior de España from Spain was heard on 
12030 kilohertz on February 4th from 2050 to 2103 UTC in Spanish. SIO rating was 353. It broadcast a relay of Radio Nacional de España, which aired chat by men and women. ID was given at 2057. Ifrikaya FM from Algeria was heard on 17600 kilohertz on February 10th from 0800 to 0835 UTC in French. SIO rating was 332. Talk program and local music were broadcast. The interference was from China National Radio on 17595 kilohertz. Radio Nacional da Amazonia from Brasilia, Brazil, was received on 11780 kilohertz on February 8th from 0830 to 0845 UTC in Portuguese. SIO rating was 352. Talk program by a male announcer was aired until 0837, then Brazilian pop music was played. ID was given at 0830 and 0836. USB mode was used for this transmission. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSO card for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSO card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl.live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl.live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSO card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44 Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code 248-8691 Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we would like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Chiaki Shimada, And Mr. Kazuaki Oikawa for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shortwave Club. Thank you, Yukiko. And we end Wayscan today with a song called Gibraltar, performed on the violin by Christina Kisilev. The music video has some stunning views of Gibraltar and the surrounding area. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week, our main feature will be radio broadcasting in Libya, Part 1, BFBS, and AFRTS. And we'll have plenty of DX news. Wayscan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and other AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. 
Other correspondence, including DX News for Wavescan, can be sent to wavescan at yahoo.com. A new email address we have for you, wavescan at yahoo.com. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to The Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 